Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Let's Talk Justice. We're live today and we have our special guest, Chuck Harrison, Director of Missions with the Peninsula Baptist Association. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Let's Talk Justice. We're live today. Uh, we have as our special guest, Chuck Harrison, Director of Missions with the Peninsula Baptist Association. Uh, our discussion today will center on evangelical Christians and the intersect of biblical and social justice in today's world. We're going to take a look at how that appears to us and, and some of the ramifications and complications and other things, OENS words. Uh, as we uh, talk with Chuck. Uh, and So, Chuck, welcome to the show today. Well, great to be here, Charles. Yeah, and so we're going to ask Chuck at this time uh, to tell us a little bit about himself and the Peninsula Baptist Association and, and, and what's going on with, with, with them at, uh, in this peninsula, this Tidewater region in Hampton, Virginia, and Newport News, and uh in the greater area here? Well, Charles, um, I've been in ministry for uh, quite a long time. I've, I've worked in churches as an associate pastor, as lead pastor. Uh, I've worked in two networks. This is the second time I've worked on the network level. And uh, I've been with the Peninsula Association for uh, over six years now. And uh, we are a network of churches. That's what we see ourselves. We see ourselves as a kingdom movement. Uh, not a denominational entity. We're not. Uh, our roots are in denominationalism, but uh, at this point in time, we're just a bunch of churches that are networking together to see God's kingdom uh, be more clearly manifest in this area. So uh, that's who we are. I, I spend my time working with churches on a variety of levels. Uh, sometimes I'm working with them just on church health and growth issues, and I work with church plants and new 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 ministries. Um, and we, in the last couple of years, uh, we've really felt led to, to really engage in the whole conversation on racial reconciliation. Well, how, how did that come about uh, uh, in terms of uh, delving into that whole messy thing with racial reconciliation in the church and the community? 
Well, I, I mean, I can answer that on a personal level. Um, like everyone else, uh, every time there would be uh, you know, some crisis uh, on, on the national level, some city where um, you know an African-American young man was shot by a police officer and it would erupt into uh, a lot of uh, unrest and, and, and rioting. Uh, and just having that mixed feeling of uh, what, what is the church, what, what is our voice in that? Quite often these cities, uh, the churches hadn't even talked about it before it happened, and then they were scrambling to, to have a voice in the whole conversation. And I just felt that, that maybe in our area uh, what we need to do is have the conversation first, uh, bring churches together, and find out where, where is our common ground? What do we agree on? What can we what can we work together on to, to uh, help our community uh, to avoid that kind of uh, thing happening here? I mean, obviously, uh, you can't you can't prevent uh, bad events from happening, but at least it seems like the church ought to be in the, on the front end of that conversation, not the back end of the conversation. So for Why me, is it was, it, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so, it? so for me, it was it was a, it was a personal thing. Uh, I, I was, I, I just felt the need that the church needs to be in, in this dialogue, you know. Okay. So what are, you, what are we saying? That the church hasn't been in the dialogue or the church has been absent from, uh, from the, this, this whole, uh, thing with racial reconciliation and, and, and when these things happen in our community, they, they are retreating more than they are coming forward. Well, yeah, and I, when we use the word church, you know, I, I, I kind of flip back and forth between two meanings. The, the one meaning is the church as all the churches together, uh, speaking with one voice, and then obviously the individual churches. And, and I'm not saying that, that individual churches haven't been involved in the conversation. There's, there are churches that have, but as a whole coming together as the church, uh, I think we've been largely absent in this conversation, and we've kind of defaulted that conversation to a few celebrity pastors uh, on the national level who always seem to show up on the news whenever one of these events happens, and perhaps that's their calling, but uh, where is the local church? Uh, have, are we talking to each other? Are we in conversation? Do we even know each other? And I think we're, we kind of live in a time when there's a lot of Lone Ranger churches, churches sort of doing their own thing, uh, sort of circling the wagons and saying, well, we're going to take care of ourselves. Uh, and not look beyond ourselves, not partner beyond ourselves, and and I just I don't think that was ever meant to be. I think the church was always meant to be uh, one church that's working together. Now we're going to have differences. We're going to disagree on theology and, and things like that, but there should be enough unifying us that, that that brings that together. But to answer your question, yeah, I think by and large the church has been out of the conversation. Uh, certainly when we talk to local uh, police, you know, uh, leaders and civic leaders and city leaders. A lot of times they're asking, where's the church been? You know, we've been having this conversation without you, and we, we would like to have you in the conversation, but you haven't been here. And in the last couple of years, I think we've taken some moves to, to, to change that. And the, at least in our area, the perception now is, well, the church is involved. We do want to be part of the conversation. Uh, you know, you mentioned at, at the opening of the show uh, the, the word evangelical, which uh, in our time has really changed meanings. Uh, can I hit that for just a second? Sure, sure. All right. Um, you know, I, I grew up in uh, an evangelical tradition, but by evangelical, what was meant was that there was a, there was a high focus on personal evangelism, on, on people personally accepting Jesus Christ to become a Christian. Uh, and I think our, our naive assumption was that if, if we get people saved, if we get them 
you know, to become Christians, they'll, their behavior will change, and that will trickle down to society, and society will be a better place. And I don't think that's all wrong, but it's also pretty naive because it, it, that's not what happened. And so what, what, what has tended to happen is uh, the evangelical church has, has focused so much on evangelism and discipleship that they haven't focused so much on things like restoration and development within the community. They've been involved in, in, in demonstrating compassion. You know, uh, certainly uh, evangelical churches have been tremendous at starting orphanages and hospitals and schools and things like that around the world. Uh, so, so they've demonstrated some compassion, not always in a healthy way, but at least in a, in a well-intentioned way. But they haven't been involved in making the community a better place, and, and just didn't, they never saw that as part of their role. Well, you know, you fast forward to today, and when I hear the word evangelical mentioned today, it's a dirty word. It, it, it now means uh, a middle-class white racist person who voted for Donald Trump. And um, certainly there are people in the evangelical movement that would fit that category, but I think that's too simplistic. I think, I think there's something to be redeemed in evangelicalism, uh, but it's got a long ways to go. So, so where, how, how do we start to even uh, write that ship um, so that we can, that, so that that word uh, Sorry, I lost you there, I think. Okay. How can, how can we write that ship uh, with that evangelical uh, Christian definition uh, as, as you explain it as it progressed from one thing to another at this time? What are some of the the methods we can use or the methodology or where does the church fit in here into, into reshaping that? Oh, I think there's, I think, I think there's multiple levels of that. And it, it might be that, um, it might be that the word itself, evangelicalism, evangelical has been tainted too much. And maybe we need to find a new word for that. Um, but part of the problem, and I'm speaking from my own tribe. I mean, I, I came up in this, in this tradition, uh, with such a such a heavy emphasis on proclamation, uh, evangelicals haven't done a lot of listening. They've done a lot of talking, but not a lot of listening. And I think the conversation begins with listening to other people who are who are also in the body of Christ, but have a different perspective on things. And I, I think that it begins with dialogue. It begins with a conversation uh, with people that don't see things exactly like you do, but but share the same Christian values. And I think that people that are traditionally evangelical have a tremendous amount to learn. From other uh, other segments of the of the church and, and as a whole, uh, which means we need to open up our hands a little bit and be willing to share ideas and, and share ideologies and understand that there are going to be places we don't always agree with each other, but that's okay. There's enough that we agree on that that makes it worth doing. Uh, I think that's that's part of the layer that has to happen. Um, and. I had another thought in mind, but it, old age is slipping in, and I forgot what it was. But, you know, just beginning that, that conversation helps to right the ship. Uh, and, again, getting to this place where we, we're focused not on my church but on God's kingdom. Uh, I think we all can agree that God's kingdom is what Jesus came to establish. He used the church as a tool to establish the kingdom. The kingdom was, was the motivation what it's about. One thing when, when we're talking with, with uh, evangelicals uh, is the strength of, this, of the Bible and we can use the Bible to say, hey, the Bible talks about more than just evangelism and discipleship. It talks about justice. There's a tremendous amount of conversation in the Bible about righting wrongs and about uh, confronting injustices. And 
Uh, and if you can show that to an evangelical person, hopefully they can understand, well, maybe I haven't seen the whole picture here. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. So have you seen any movement at all um, in, in that context, and, and how has that been done? Uh, well, in our own personal experience, uh, as you know, we, we started with just trying to get pastors in the room uh, that came from different traditions, different ethnicities, and just started with, with dialogue and, and, and getting to know each other and going out to lunch together, sharing a meal, uh, things like that. And, you know, what I've seen is pastors now uh, have friends that don't look like them. There was a, you know, I don't think that's always been the case. Pastors are like most people. They tend to 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 their their friendship circle tends to look a lot like they do and sort of share the same you know values and beliefs uh just getting black and white pastors in the room together if nothing else causes people to create friendships and say hey this guy's not so different than i am we have the same kind of concerns their church hurts in the same way my church hurts and we you know we we can we can talk together and learn from each other and so we started a conversation a dialogue a once a month thing and at first, the idea was, let's just get pastors together. Then community leaders started saying, hey, we're not invited. And we said, well, yeah, sure, come on. Uh, and, and so now uh, it, it's morphed. And um, now when we meet, it's not unusual for us to have several police officers in the room, uh, civic leaders, uh, people that work for the city and, and cities in varieties of ways, community activists and pastors all in the conversation together talking about things like racism, talking about things like violence in our community and how do we, how do we fix that or stop that. And talking about poverty, which is, is for us so much of what's going on, uh, the need for, for good jobs, the need for things like that. How is it? And I would hasten to say that uh, some of your listeners may not realize that you and I work together and that I'm, I'm, I'm not by any means trying to take credit for something you've done because you've been very, very instrumental in this process and, and getting the connections made. I didn't know we worked together, but that's okay. We'll let, the, we'll, <laughs> we'll let everybody say <laughs> anyway, We're um, in the same building right now. <laughs> okay. Um, how is the Peninsula Baptist Association as a whole um, with this network of seeds, this direction? Because um, I remember two years ago when you first laid this on about um, – with the Southeast and Newport News um, and going in there and impacting that area and connecting churches and, uh, and pastors. Uh, has them been, I know it's a slow process, but from your perspective, what, what have you seen and what have you heard in terms of that development? Yeah, well, a, a, a network of churches like ours is very diverse. Uh, Though we have Baptists in our name, we're not even always we're not even all Baptists. Uh, there, there are many churches in our in our network that uh, don't self-identify as Baptist, um, and many that are tradition, very traditional Baptists. So there's already a diversity in in thinking and, and ideology among our churches. So they're not all going to jump on board the same thing the same way. And so what I've seen uh, I've seen uh, some encouragement on two levels. We have had some of our churches. Uh, many of which are traditional Baptist churches, really get engaged in this conversation and in this dialogue. And uh, not as many as I would like to have seen, but, but certainly it seems like, uh, you know, one at a time they're, they're coming over and the pastors are getting excited and passionate, and they're going back to their churches and sharing this passion uh, for, for this reconciliation kind of movement. And um, 
Some pastors that I had expected to jump on board did. Uh, others that, that have been a surprise, a good surprise that have jumped on board. And so that, that's been encouraging. Again, you always want to see more of that. Uh, and there's been some resistance, too. I'm not going to lie about that. But uh, uh, some people just don't see that as their agenda. Uh, on the other hand, uh, as far as the community, you mentioned the Southeast community in Newport News. When I looked at um, the Southeast community with a fresh set of eyes and got to thinking that we have uh, 60-some churches on the, on the peninsula, which is Hampton, Newport News, Yorktown, Williamsburg, York County, that this whole region, uh, we had zero churches in the Southeast community of Newport News. And uh, there was a time we did have some churches in that community. Uh, some of those churches, for one reason or another, moved out long ago and moved to the suburbs. So there, though there was a, a lot of churches, there are a whole lot of churches in the Southeast community. I've heard various numbers, but it's it's a lot. Uh, we had none in our in our network, and I, and I just felt like that was there was something wrong with that. Uh, and so what has happened is we built relationship and, and tried to build some bridges around here. Some of the churches, a few of the churches in the Southeast community, have come to us and say, "We like what you're doing." We want to be part of the Peninsula Baptist Association. We want to we want to be part of this network, and so we've seen several churches uh, join our network, and this gives us a presence and a voice in that community and an outlet for doing ministry there. And and there are others that that may not join with us, but they're partnering with us. They're they're involved with a lot of what we're doing, and um, uh, I'm I'm going to be at a church tomorrow night that I'm I'm doing consulting with. It's a, a United Church of Christ. It's in the Southeast community. Uh, and we met them through this dialogue and, you know, having conversations with them and helping them find what their vision is for the future. And uh, there are others, but, uh, you know, we're, we're just trying to, again, do a kingdom movement work. And so whether or not a church actually joins us, um, we'd love for them to join us, but whether or not they do, we can partner uh, in doing the big piece, the, you know, the, the kingdom piece. I'm losing you again. Uh, back to that, this whole, uh, and but that's another story, another talk, and another time. But you mentioned something about um, some of the churches didn't see, or pastors or whatever didn't see as this is their agenda. Um, I guess that's versus versus the injustices as, as stated in God's word. They, in other words, they draw a division or a dividing line between what God words said in terms of just addressing injustices. Uh, uh, so we go back to this whole theological perception. I, I guess that's the, um, one of the correct terms to use. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. Um, you know, every, every kind of movement within the larger church, focuses on some aspect of the gospel. Some focus more on, you know, evangelism or on discipleship and formation. Others, you know, are very much involved in compassion and, and demonstrating compassion and, and helping people. And others, uh, uh, you know, maybe see that the work of restoration and development is being important and actually partnering with the community. And then there are some that have, that have always, you know, uh, taken on uh, the, the role of prophet, uh, you know, speaking out against injustice. And I think all of those things are necessary for the church to thrive and be healthy. Um, but different traditions have, have tended to focus on one over the other, and that gives them a lens so they see scriptures in a certain way. And they may not 
see, you know, those other things that are there as clearly as the things that, that, that their tradition has valued. And I, I kind of see my role sometimes as being an interpreter uh, between mm-hmm. churches, between traditions to say, yes, but have you, have you paid attention to this? Have you seen what the scripture says about that? Uh, and, and try to do that in a humble way to say, you know, maybe what you're doing is great, but you're not, maybe not getting the whole picture. Maybe there's some other aspects of this picture that, that you, you still need to see. You know, I, I'll look at the, uh, I look at mega churches in America, and that's been one of the biggest movements in, in our country in the last 20 years. Is these, these huge churches, 15, 20,000 people, who start out very much attractional, very much about come to our event. We do a great show. It's it's exciting. It's fun. You can bring your friends, and and you know their churches have done a tremendous job of getting people who weren't going to church to come to church. And the complaint is, has been about a lot of these mega churches. Yeah, but they're not doing anything for the community. They're not trying to help the, any, anybody but themselves. Well, what I find is quite often these megachurches can mature over time. And so you get, you get a Rick Warren, you know, the Saddleback Church in California, that all of a sudden seems to get a conscience and, and decides, hey, we're going to do something about poverty. We're going to do something about hunger. And when a church of 25,000 people decides to do something, you know, there's, a, there's an economy of scale there that they can, they can do some amazing things uh, that, that, that the smaller church may not be able to do. So I wouldn't write off those kind of churches, but let's, let's bring them along and, and help them to, to, to mature in, in their understanding of Scripture because they can, be, they can make tremendous change and difference in the world. Uh, and and they, they tend to, over time, grow up and, 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 and grow into a, a, a theology that's broader and, and you know, that embraces more the concept of, of you know helping the, the hurting hurting people out there, the broken people, and and they can have a tremendous voice. So I think it's just for me, it's a process of, of constantly being open to what God is saying. Uh, the scriptures are, the, the scriptures say a lot, you know, but you know God is at, at different times and different places. He, he he focuses people on different aspects. So and I think we're we're moving into a time when there is a focus on uh, a conversation about justice and injustice and how the church has a voice in that. Well, tell us about your book uh, and how does that play into this whole conversation in terms of uh, reflecting and looking at where you should do a church and perspective. You kind of faded off on me there, but I heard you say something of my book. So you want me to talk yeah, about the book? Yeah, yeah, if you tell the book, comes this whole thing of refocusing. Okay, I'm still having a hard time hearing you. But let me, I will, I'll let me mention, uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book called What Happened to Our Church and Where Do We Go From Here? And it came out of an experience of uh, time and time again, I'm in churches, I do consulting with churches on things like vision and values and, and, and just church health and, and growth and those sort of issues. And, and over and over and over again, I'm, I'm hearing the same story from church to church, particularly traditional churches, particularly churches that have been around for a long time. Uh, I, I was hearing the same kind of conversation. And what, what they're asking is what happened to our church. There was a time that what we do seems to have worked, you know, uh, kind of the, the, the age of you, you, you build it and they will come. And so they planted churches back in the, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and you just put a church in a new community, and, and before you knew it, the church was full of people and doing all kinds of things. Well, that's, you know, we're not, we no longer live in that world, and we, we live in a world now 
where at least 40%, and depending on what statistics you, you listen to, at least 40% of the uh, population uh, has no church history, no church memory. They don't know any. They don't know what goes on in a church, uh, and have never had experience with it. So nowadays, it's not about just convincing the already convinced people that they need to go to your church as opposed to the church down the street. And churches didn't change. They didn't change with the time. They didn't change with their community. Uh, and so what they found themselves often is stuck in a cycle where they're declining, they're aging, and they're increasingly irrelevant to the community around them. Uh, we see that in communities where, the, where the, there's been a transition in the community, and what used to be suburbs is now more urbanized. And this church has no clue how to reach out to the people living literally across the street from their building. And so the book was, first off, to try to explain to those churches why this is happening, how there's the changes that have happened in our culture, in our society, you know, during our lifetime, have really changed the playing field. And uh, so the first half of the book is a lot about that, about, about different generations and how they function and how that's affected who we are as a church. And then the second half of the book, I talk about options uh, for, for the future. And if a church really wants to change, it's going to have to engage the community around it. It's going to have to take serious its locality. I think locality is something we've lost in the church because people will drive by 20 churches to get to their church on Sunday morning. And I'm not criticizing them for that, but the point is the church is no longer, you know, something that's the center of their community ministering to their community. And I think that's one of the things that's caused the church to be in decline in our time is, is losing that sense of locality. So I talk about some options in the book um, uh, on how churches can better engage the community around them, listen to the community around them, and, and actually be part of the community around them, not just be a building in the community or someone that does something for the community, but truly you know, partnering with their community and with their neighbors. Okay. What, with the few minutes we have left, uh, I know you're going to be participating in the Mid-Atlantic, upcoming Mid-Atlantic Regional Justice Conference, uh, and you're going to be doing – several work, workshops, uh, what are you going to be presenting there, and uh, what benefit will it have to those folks attending? Well, I'm, I'm going to be doing two breakouts. Um, one is more, a little bit more about our story, what's been going on with us, and uh, it's called Make Us One. It's under the track Race, Relations, and Reconciliation, and I'm going to tell a little bit of our story of what's been going on uh, in this area and trying to bring racial reconciliation together. And just to, just what I've learned in the process, uh, you know, as, as I've uh, participated in these conversations and uh, as I've read books and, and tried to, you know, become more sensitive to understanding uh, ethnicity. Uh, so that one's, that one really is, is um, a nuts and bolts. Here's what we're doing. Here's what's working. Here's what's not working. Here's where we've, succeeded here's where we failed and and you know helping people to kind of see that as, as an example and you know some of that will be based on you know what the scriptures say about ethnicity and, and diversity and uh so yeah so that's one and the other one i'm going to be doing um is a little bit more the theoretical a little bit more what i was talking about about how um you know social justice uh has in some aspect some portions of the church has had sort of a negative connotation we need to um to you know, revive that terminology and help the, the, the church, the larger church, understand that the, the, that we have not just a priestly role, but we have a prophetic role. We have the role of the prophet and the priest. We are here to care for people. We are here to to to, to you know uh, to help the wounded people and the broken people. But we're also here to speak uh, speak truth.
truth and love into our community and into the, the situation that we find ourselves in. So that one will be a little bit more along the lines of engaging the, the church, you know, in the community, uh, how we, what's, what's a good theology for that, and, and where do we start? Okay. Both should be fairly practical stuff. Great, great, great. And why did the Peninsula Baptist Association decide to come alongside uh, this justice conference? Uh, why do you see the value in that? Well, um, multiple reasons. I, I, again, I can start with personal reasons. Uh, this has just been what's been going on in my life. Uh, as as I've, I've listened, looked and listened and watched um, how God's moving and God's at work, uh, this this looks like a tremendous resource of of real life practitioners. This isn't a, this isn't one of those conferences of superstars. Although there's some pretty big big hit, heavy hitters coming, but they're heavy hitters because they're doing it in the real world. And we need examples. We need to learn from people who are doing this stuff. So for me, I, I want to go and learn. I want to be there to listen to Christina Cleveland. And I read her book, and man, I just want to hear her speak and. And some of these other speakers, I could just go on and on about who's going to be there. But you know, I want to learn from them. I need, I need to learn. This is not has not been my area of expertise. It's not been where where I focus my time and energy. It needs to be more of my time and energy. So for me, I just want to be there to, to be a learner, to to, learn, to absorb everything I can. Uh, I, I think for the PBA, I think again, this is a conversation our churches need to at least be aware of and at least be involved in. It, it, I, I guarantee that. That many of the people from our churches, when they go to this conference, they will hear things they haven't heard before. It might shake them a little bit, it might stretch them a little bit. Hopefully, it'll inspire them to, to maybe shift the way they're doing things in their own community. And so, I'm, I'm thinking that, that this could be a, a tremendous opportunity for regular church folks to hear something in a different voice than they're used to hearing it, and maybe learn from it. Well, thank you so much, uh, Chuck Harrison. Uh, this has been an interesting dialogue discussion this morning, and we look forward to having you back again at some other time. There are many points you hit on that we'd like to explore a lot more. Uh, so we're going to end this Justice Talks today, and, and we're going to invite you back tomorrow morning when we have Pastor Freddie Villarreal and um, <laughs> Courtney Beard from Freedom Life Church, and they're going to talk about diverse camp campuses and congregations and how that fits into our conversation of justice. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. All right, thanks. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.